The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett. And this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in-depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media. And shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the the president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett. Greetings from the Barrett Media office. I am Jason Barrett, and this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Thanks for taking the time to check out the episode. Today on the program, I'll be visiting with the man who literally started sports radio. MS CEO Jeff Smullyan is my guest. He has a brand new book out, titled Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, The Ups, Downs, and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur. You can pick up your copy on Amazon. I've got mine already and am really enjoying it. For those of you working in the business who'd like to have Jeff on your station or show to discuss the book, sports radio, or the world of radio in general, Jeff has told me I can pass along his email address so you can reach him at jeff at emis.com. Just tell him you heard him on this podcast and you're interested in having him on. I'm sure he'll get back to you. I've been fortunate to know Jeff since we started the BSM Summit in 2018 and introduced an award in his honor. He makes time each year to join us and he'll be with us once again in Los Angeles this March. Premier Network's president, Julie Talbot, is our honoree this year. If you work in the business and you wish to attend, Log on to bsmsummit.com and reserve your ticket and hotel room. Now, before we get to our interview with Jeff Smullyan, I do want to kick things off with this week's edition of What I've Seen or Heard. Attention. Attention. Have I got your attention now? If you're a sports fan, more specifically a college football fan, you're likely aware that Deion Sanders has been named the new head football coach at the University of Colorado. Coach Prime, as he's affectionately called, now confirmed the news to his Jackson State football team, and I want you guys to take a listen to what he said about the reason he's leaving for Colorado. In coaching, you get elevated or you get terminated. Ain't no other way. And it ain't no graveyard for coaches where they die at the place. They either gonna run you off or you gonna walk off up on your own recognizance. I always felt like if you dominate your opportunity and you treat people right the bag is gonna always come i never chase the bag a bag is always chased me what dion said isn't just applicable to sports it relates to all business i know some folks are upset that he's leaving jackson state because they like what he's done there and they want him to do it forever but let's be honest for a minute none of us expected dion would be there for 10 years when he took the job Secondly, he just led the school to an 11-0 season. He convinced recruits to join him who'd likely have not considered going to the school, and his arrival and performance were a big reason why College Game Day brought their program to the school this year for the very first time. In a nutshell, Dion outperformed his job and did as well as can be expected. And Colorado took notice. And rather than staying and running the risk of not being in the same position in the future, 
He's cashing in while he's in demand. And I don't blame him one bit. That's how many people get ahead. I know we all want the fairy tale ending, but to get ahead in life, you've got to be able to make decisions based on what's best for you professionally, not just what you prefer personally. I've had many talks with media people who are loyal to their brands and staffs and cost themselves bigger opportunities and better long-term futures because their heart overruled their head. I've told many over the years who get bummed out when a key managerial or company change is made, the only thing guaranteed when you sign a contract and accept a job is the paycheck coming in from the company paying it as long as they continue to employ you. There's no assurance that your boss will stay the same, your staff won't be cut, your tools to perform won't be taken away, or the location where you go and the shift you signed up for won't be changed. That doesn't mean you shouldn't love every minute of the experience or those you get to spend your time with. But until your name is on a contract stating that you own the company, it is not your staff, your station, or your vision. Others can change it anytime they want, which is why it isn't smart to ignore life-changing opportunities if they fall into your lap. Take a listen to the names of these companies I'm about to announce. Meta, Twitter, Warner Brothers Discovery, which owns CNN, Gannett, HBO Max, Shopify, Amazon, DoorDash, Walmart, Ford, Uber, Peloton, Best Buy, Beasley, all have had to lay off staff within the past few months, some even parting with thousands of people. Then you have others like Disney and NPR, which have instituted hiring freezes and still may at some point in the future go down the same path. Sirius XM right now is rumored to be on the verge of also having to make cuts, and radio hasn't really gutted anything yet, and I'm hoping it doesn't, but we're three and a half weeks away from the end of the year, and this is usually when reductions take place, so who knows what's going to happen yet. CNBC put out a story which said that 50% of employers are expected to make job cuts due to the economy. So let's bring this back full circle. When you're in a situation as Deion Sanders is, and you have a chance to do what's best for yourself professionally, can you really afford not to take that step? If Deion stayed loyal to Jackson State because his heart was in it, and he went 5-6 and six next year and wound up not being considered in the future for a major head coaching gig, everyone would say that he missed the opportunity when he had it. Some can make choices based on what's best for themselves, Others worry about everything around them, and it often prevents them from going as far as they could. I'm sure there are many on the sidelines right now who have worked for those companies that I just listed who love their brands, their staffs, their companies, and their jobs. Yet when push came to shove, the company did what was best for its business, and it looked past personal connections. So the question you have to think about, could you do the same? If you were faced with a Dion-like dilemma. Well done, sir. And that dilemma is one that many hosts, producers, programmers, GMs, and sales professionals face at some point in their careers. I always welcome your feedback on it. Either way, you can get me at email, jbarrett at sportsradiopd.com, or you can reach me on any of the socials. But it's time now for this week's conversation, and my guest is the CEO of MS Communications, Jeff Smolian. 
Jeff is responsible for the start of the sports radio format, the birth and early growth of WFAN, and he's a man who's left a mark on the broadcasting business, recently going into the Radio Hall of Fame. We got into some format talk, his future plans with the 98.7 FM signal in New York City, which he still owns and leases to Good Karma Brands and ESPN, his recent decision to get out of the radio business, and of course, his brand new book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, which makes for a great holiday gift. You can purchase it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy books. So without further ado, here's my chat with Jeff Smolian. Yo, listen! This gentleman has not only built his name in the radio business, anyone who's followed Barrett Sports Media for the duration of our existence knows we honor Jeff Smolian every year with the Jeff Smolian Award at the BSM Summit. He's been gracious to be part of it. But now, in addition to being the CEO of MS Communications and an owner of various companies along the way, you've been an owner of the Seattle Mariners, you've been involved in a lot of things, but now we can add author to the list. Never ride a roller coaster upside down, the ups, downs, and reinvention of an entrepreneur. Jeff Smolian is here. Appreciate you making the time. First, before I get into any of the book, where did the title come from? How did it come about? It it came about. I, I you know when I started to write this book, I thought, well, my favorite saying going into a meeting is, "What have we learned here?" So I thought I call it, "What have we learned?" And when I when I started thinking about it, I thought my life has been a roller coaster ride, as all of our lives are, but mine's been more upside down than most. And I just I thought of the title and thought, and people said sort of like it, sort of liked it. So here we are. It's catchy. There's no question about it. And I think, you know, anyone who's followed your career is going to look at that and they're going to go, all right, we want to know about the ups and the downs because yeah. that's part of the journey, right? Well, yeah. where did the motivation for the book come from? Did somebody have to push you into it? Well, I, yeah, somebody pushed me into it. I um, I had a habit. My fa- I used to say my favorite 30 minutes a day were taking my now 18-year-old daughter to school from kindergarten through grade school, and I, I, I say it, in high school until she fired me when she got her driver's license. Um, but we'd take her to school. We'd just talk about life every day. And I am a big lesson guy. Here's what I learned here. Here's the story behind this. And one day she said, Dad, you got to write this down. You got to make this a book. So when COVID came about and things were slow, uh, I sat at this desk and just started writing. And one thing, you know, in about 45 days, I had about 300 pages and sent it off to a couple of friends. And they said, you know, you really got something here. Um, and, and one of my dear friends said, my husband just did a book. He had a wonderful editor. You should hire this woman to clean it up. Uh, I did. Her name is Phyllis Strong, and she was fantastic. Um, and then we got an agent and a publisher, and here we are. Yeah. What's interesting, uh, I was thinking about you knowing you as I do, and some of your your humor is not lost on me because uh, you've told me many times, like when we talked about introducing the Jeff Smalley in a war, it's like, all right, at least we're doing this while I'm alive, right? right. And right. I start thinking to myself, like, he's got a book now. He just got, uh, we do this annual award. He's being entered into the Radio Hall of Fame. At some point in your mind, are you going, wait, is this like the end? I, I Listen, I've been I've been given more honors than I can imagine. Uh, I always say, if you live long enough and you're not indicted for anything, they give you awards. Uh, <laughs> I've had a lot of them. But yours was the most unique when you said we're naming this award, you know, in your honor. And I and my first response was, well, thank God it's not posthumous. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, but but yeah, you know, it's it, I've been fortunate. I had a long talk. One of my dear friends uh, uh, sent me a note last night and said, "Okay, I read it." And, and it's Jerry Reinsdorf, and we've had a the, the history of the relationship is he never says anything nice to me, and I never say anything nice to him. And he said, "No, I really love the book." And we were laughing about it, but you know, you live long enough, and you and you have all, you know, and 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 he said, you know, uh, I, I read the book. You really should be more successful than you are. Um, <laughs> and, I, and he said, but on the other hand, you're happier than anybody I know. So, uh, but it's fun. The book was a lot of fun. I want to get through obviously a lot of the parts uh, that bring you to having a book is you yeah. have to have a lot of different things happen in your career. Yeah. And, and obviously we're in the radio business. We focus on it a lot and what we cover. And that's a space right. that you've, you know, built a lot of success in you. You obviously had to make a call to exit radio, to right. get rid of Indianapolis, Austin, right. St. Louis, and, and really downsize everything yeah. you had been focused on. How, when did you arrive at that? And, and what, who, I'm, I'm sure you, I know you, you, probably wrestled with that for a while how hard was it getting to that point where you said all right you know what we have to do this yeah i can i can tell you a story i mean i loved it and we were talking about this last night i mean i loved it more uh than was probably rational uh jerry and i sat in a meeting with with sam zell many years ago 20 some years ago and sam said let's merge the companies you run it randy michaels will come in and 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 it'll be and it'll be great and i said sam if i want to make the most money i would do that um, but I know you and you're going to look at this business and say in two years, it's topped out. It's peaked. We got to get out and you'll be right. Uh, and that will be the way we, you know, make the most money, but I love it. I stayed with it. Um, certainly, um, it, you know, if you wanted to maximize your revenues, you would have sold many years ago. Um, I think what happened is after a number of years, um, of, of, of no growth, uh, and we weren't big enough to effectuate change. Mm -hmm. And we just said, you know, this is Rick. Rick Cummings has been with me since the very beginning, dear friends. Uh, and it was like pushing water uphill. And you can only do that for so long. And we finally said, look, we want to grow again, um, but we're going to need to be in other businesses to grow. And it breaks my heart. I love this business. There'll always be a place for radio. And, and and I will give you a plug. If you're going to be in radio, I think being in sports radio is the best place to be mm -hmm. because it's local and it matters to people. Um, but we just said, you know, we need to try to do something else. You know, what's interesting with that, because I follow a lot of business and I've been studying this, especially since I went into the consulting space. And every year you see radios flat to down. Yeah. And everybody keeps waiting on this digital elixir to come and podcasting is going to replace it. And yeah. all these different things are going to come, but you keep seeing a lot of the same stories happen. Yeah. And so I try to look at this and I go, all right, Jeff, if what you know now versus what you knew then, if you were starting today yeah. and you were going to run a radio company, yeah. first of all, is it an investment you would make? And if it is, how would you go about trying to make, build a group that could be profitable? Because the, the interesting thing about this is there are a lot of groups that generate revenue. The problem is they're all burdened with so much debt that it's hard to get out of. That's And Jason, that is the hard. And when I, when I wrote the book, I really traced back the history. Consolidation in the 90s was, was a spectacular time. We saw how, how out of whack it was because, you know, I've been in this business since the early 70s and I got a school. 
And asset values are nine, 10, 11 times cash flow. And then all of a sudden, they went from that level to 25 times cash flow. We looked at it and said, you know what? This is unsustainable. We bought TV stations then. We didn't buy a lot of radio then. But the people who did and grew, because what would happen is, if your stock was, a lot of these people were public, if their stock was trading at 12 and they bought an asset at 11, the stock, it was called accretive and the stock went up to 13, then went up to, then it would go to 14 and they'd buy something at 13 and it went all the way up into the mid 20s. And the problem with that was the, the revenues and the cash flow capability were, were not factored into that. They were unsustainable. So what happened is when the music stopped and values went back to 10 or 11, now they're like six or seven. Uh, these people had too much debt. And, mm -hmm. and, and you know, so you asked me the question, what would I do? Well, number one, I'd, I'd try to own a station with very little debt. Uh, I would not run 18 minutes an hour, an hour of commercials, because the one thing we learned is, and we learned that in the next radio experiment, is that when they have that many commercials, they just leave you. Uh, they've got other cheaper alternatives. And when I say cheap, time-consuming, and 18 minutes is a cost to them because you know they they don't want to spend that much time with it um and so consequently i think i, I you know i try to reinvent it that was the, the, that was really the hope of next radio is that we could sell a uh, location-based data and 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 sell much higher value commercials so we, people didn't have to run 16 minutes of commercials an hour you know, it's interesting. I'm going to tie some of these together because you mentioned X Radio. I want to talk to you about that. And you also have a section in here talking about how to fix television or not. And so I want to kind of uh, bring this together in one way. TV, when it comes to revenue, especially in the sports space, yeah. does astronomical. It's yeah. got a really high perceived value in, right. the, uh, in the eyes and ears of advertisers. Right. When it comes to sports radio, you mentioned before, it's the one space that you'd be advising people to go into. And I, I see it that way. I go sports yeah. on radio is definitely a big, big get. It's yeah. very successful. But in the eyes of advertisers, they don't see it that way, the same way that they see TV sports being sexy. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Well, TV's always been a primary medium. Um, and it's why, you know, when we looked at TV, this was the fear we had. And we said, if you look at the number one TV show in America in 1975, it probably had a 30 rating and a 45 share of the country. Today, the number one program in America may have a, a seven rating and an 18 share of the country. And yet advertisers are paying more for that audience today uh, on, a, you know, on a cost per point basis than they did then. Because it's a primary medium, everybody says that's where you got to be. We were always a secondary or a tertiary medium. Mm -hmm. So and it was always our problem. You know, people never, you know, you know, you go to ad agencies, ad agencies want to create TV commercials, um, advertisers, you know, they see the TV commercial. And, uh, and so that always hurt us. No, there's no question about it. You know, it's interesting. I went to um, Radio Inc. forecast a few years ago and yeah. I listened to Mark Gray speak, who runs cats. Yeah. And. I'm sitting there trying to think about my clients and, you know, how do I help them with generating yeah. more revenue? And he said something that day about, well, good luck if you're in radio because the ad buyer is on a train, they've got earbuds in yeah. and they're not even going to pay attention to you. So I, I sit there. All right. So how do I convince this person? I have a business that's worth spending money on. Yeah. How do I, if I'm in charge of a radio company, like I've listened to David Field talk about radio should get its fair due and it doesn't. And I go, 
But if I'm in the advertising person's shoes, yeah, it's our job to get them to feel better about spending more. So right. from your vantage point, what should we be doing or can we do to get a bigger percentage of that pie? You know, I, I have to laugh at David's comment. And and when I was chairman of the RAB, and, you know, 20 years ago and 20 years before that, we always said we have 7% of the revenues and 30% of the time spent with media. So we've had this problem forever and ever. It goes back to being the fact that we're not top of mind, that we're not a primary medium, we're a secondary medium. We've had this battle forever and ever and ever. Part of what we can overcome. But again, the only thing we can do is create compelling products that maybe some of those ad buyers end up listening to. Um, and and again, you know, we, we, we've not done a good job with younger generations. There's no question. Um, but I do think that if we create compelling products that, you know, people will notice us and buy time with us. You know, in the book, I want to tie this to sports radio, because one of your uh, one of the parts in the book that I read uh, that really jumped out. And I'm, you know, the sports guy, of course, like the sports section. Right. Yeah. So you you mentioned in the book how hard it was for you to sell WFAN. Yeah. And uh, Mel Carmazin obviously came on, uh, yeah. by the way, an incredible quote from Norm Pattis. Uh, Mel wouldn't stab you in the back. He enjoys stabbing you in the chest too much. Yeah. That was you, you know, such and, a genius and, and, and funny quote. It was one of my favorite quotes of all time. It was actually in the New York Times the day that Mel got the job running CBS. And when you know Mel, he would delight at that quote because, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it's funny because I, I know Craig very well. And Mel and Craig are just totally totally opposite people, um, which is, by the way, a lot of true of a lot of fathers and sons. Yep. Um, but Mel, Mel loved being the tough guy. Mel loved being the street fighter. And he relished it. I, I went to Mel with a deal once and I said, Mel, this makes sense for you. And this makes sense for me. And here's why we should do it. And he said, Jeffrey, you don't understand. I want to make a deal that's really good for me and screws you. <laughs> Yeah, I said, you know, Mel, you're right. And that was Mel. He, he, that, it, it was his nature. Uh, God love him, but that's who he is. What's interesting, though, is you sold WFAN to yeah. Mel, and now you're in charge of the night. You still have the 98.7 yeah. signal in New York, which Craig is now running in connection with ESPN. I know. You guys did that lease with ESPN in 2012 that runs right. through 24. Right. And you kind of touched on how they're different because I was going to ask you, you know, who's the harder one to negotiate. But as you look at it, what's interesting, you're tied to New York sports radio through yeah. starting the format, but now yeah. on the other side of the street. Like, and I'm the landlord. Yeah. So for you, like you talked about, you know, you've moved out of Indy, moved out of St. Louis, moved out of Austin. Yeah. Do you envision that 98, the 98.7 signal? is not in your possession in two years? I would imagine. Yeah, I think we've, we've made a decision. We talked to Craig. It's no secret. Craig leases it, yep. uh, runs it for Disney. He's interested in it. We've, we've had expressions from other people. The lease comes up uh, really a year from August, uh, you know, a little less than two years. So, yeah, we'll, we'll do something. We're, we're on our way to do other things, mm -hmm. uh, for better or worse. If you were to sell, like you sold WFAN for $75 million in the is right. what you said in the book. Right. If you sold WFAN today, <laughs> how much do you think that hits well, in the know, New York great, market? That, I mean, that that's a great question because, so, you know, if you ask me what it would have been worth at its peak, it may have been $600 million. Right. Today, you know, it, it, it would not be. Um, Correct. Because I'm looking the, at the radio business going, you chose to get out of it because you don't see it growing. So yeah. 
you may think like the, the natural thing is, well, if you have 30 years of history on a van, it should be worth a fortune compared yeah. to what it was. But the radio business isn't the fortune that it was 15, 20 years ago. We had a, we, we I, I don't, I don't know if it's in the book. It may be, but we sold power 106 for $85 million. Um, I had a friend who called me and said, I just want you to know, we had valued power at its peak at $850 million, you know, like night in night 2002 or something. So, I mean, you know, all these things, it's, you know, it's, there's no question the value of the assets has declined dramatically, dramatically. I want to ask you about TV, because I yeah. said before, you have a section in the book titled How to Fix Television or Not. Yeah. yeah. This is a space, still a big part of American society. Right. We just saw Bob Iger return to run right. Disney, right? So he's right. going back for another crack. Yet that's a medium that's gone through a lot of transformation too, especially with the rise of streaming, you know, and there's a lot of questions about, how much will the consumer accept, right? We're, we're went away from the cable model to all these yeah. different apps. And you're going to wind up paying a lot more money. Yeah. So if you're charged right now, Jeff, if you were tomorrow in charge of a TV network, yeah. TV network, and they task you with make us profitable, what would yeah. be the first order of business? Well, the good news is they're pro they could be profitable doing what they're doing, um, you know, with linear TV. The bad news is it's, again, a declining business. And the question is, what replaces it? And this is the big debate. And, and, you know, it was a debate at Disney. When I wrote the book, I talked about my questions about streaming. And, and, and I said, Disney, with its vast libraries, budgeted $5 billion of losses before it breaks even. Well, the last quarter, which is what was sort of Bob Chapek's un, undoing, it lost a billion and a half dollars in the, in the streaming business. So the problem with it is, is, it is a model that is has been successful for 70 years, but it is eroding. And the question is, the shiny new object is streaming, but nobody's made any money streaming. You know, right. you laugh and say Netflix, you know, has a $250 billion valuation or whatever it is, uh, more than that. Um, and they gross $21 billion and they spend $19 billion on content. Well, you know, you keep spending that kind of money on content. There's no way you make money. We've seen that in streaming audio. You know, nobody, you know, I, I used to hold up, ask, you know, at, at speeches, how many of you have made money streaming audio and nobody ever raised their hand. So those are the questions. You know, if the customer wants to go there, the question is, can you take them there in a way that's profitable? It, it's the uh, most interesting part of what the next decade is going to be and what the Absolutely. previous decade has been. Because yeah. on one hand, we can see that the audience is changing. They're they're listening less to radio because now they have podcasts as well. Right. They're list, they're watching less TV because now they have streaming options as well. Right. But the revenue doesn't follow it to these spaces. Like I was out in LA and I was talking to Fox Sports, and there's a reason they don't have a Fox Sports Plus that's got the priority right. that ESPN does and right. Peacock does because they look at it and say, well, that's a lot of money to yeah. be spending out on that space to not get a return. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, you mentioned shiny new objects. That was another one in the book yeah. uh, that you talked about. And, you know, that leads me to the FM chip, the shiny yeah. new object, because that was a big focus for you right. in the last decade. Knowing what you know now and versus what you learned going through the process first, like, why do you think it didn't work? And if there was anything you could retrace your steps and change, what would you have done? Well, the problem it didn't work is because the economics of the industry got worse for people. They had debt. Um, and, they, you know, the, number one, I, I believed in it. The day 
that really David Rare came in and said, you know, this chip is in analog phones all over the Europe, but over the world, but here, Europe and Asia. Um, he said, I think we need to do this in the United States. And we all, at that time, there were nine CEOs in the room. Everybody said, yeah, we got to. And somebody knew that we had worked with Nokia on a project in Europe. And somebody said, would you do it? And I, and I did it, took it on and fell in love with it. And then shortly thereafter, you had the, the rise of smartphones with the iPhone. Um, and we learned that there was an FM chip in every smartphone in the world. So our job was to get it turned on. The reason I loved it so much, Jason, was that I grew up in an area where radio became portable transistor radios. And every kid in my era had a transistor radio and listened to music or ball games or something. Uh, then we got to the Walkman. And again, people carried around Walkman and listened to music. Then we got to boom boxes, but we've lost our portability. And my point was, I know that the economics of streaming are very, very bad. Um, you know, we gave the example in speeches that to, to put my signal over the air, which could be in a phone for no cost. My only cost is my electricity to power my transmitter as opposed to the exact same content for the exact same listeners cost us, you know, a couple million dollars a year. That's why you can't make money, any money streaming. So we said, look, we cannot be out of the phone. You know, we have to be in the phone in a portable way. Doesn't cost the consumer any money or us any money. So that was why regaining the portability was important. This is a roundabout way to say the problem was you needed a totally unified industry um and 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 you could never get a unified industry uh people had their own agendas uh and you, you can see all that in the book i don't want to bore you anymore but uh you know i still think it was a wonderful idea um we pivoted from we realized we were never going to totally gain portability because that ship had sailed too many people didn't think about radio in a portable way but the value of the data was very very important and that would have helped us but that required a, a, a more fervent commitment from the industry than we could get. That that's the part too that I'm fascinated by. Yeah, you've you've run a company where your data, it, like when you look at social media data yeah. that you get, yeah. when you look at streaming data, it's pretty quick. It's pretty good. Yeah, and then you look at radio data. Yeah, and it's what we think ten people did, and that's yeah. determining what two million people did, and it right. it's beyond maddening. Yet. The radio industry as a whole has not said, you know what, we really do need to change this. Everybody yeah. will dabble with a little yeah. bit. And this, like when I looked at it at the time, I'm going, yeah, we're all, we all have a cell phone. Yeah. I'm, I listen more on my phone or through a smart speaker than I do to a radio now. That's right. just reality. Right. Why do you think we've had such a hard time as an industry getting, I mean, as it pertains to measurement? better better data for the industry but on top of it getting yeah. everybody on the same page that this is a big issue i think there's a competitive nature where somebody says you know if, if I, I gotta beat the guy next door I, I can't partner with the guy next door when in reality if, if everybody partnered together you create you create value and and be able to launch things um but that's a much longer story i i would tell you that was that frustrating yes um and I was incredibly gratified by how many people did wrap their arms around the value of the FM chip. Uh, one of my proudest moments is when we demonstrated Next Radio to a senior manager's meeting at the NAB. And people said, wow, I can't believe you created this. It was really, it was wonderful. It was interactive and it did all sorts of things. But 
you really needed a unified industry. And, and in fairness to the industry, you also needed an industry that wasn't drowning in debt. And mm-hmm. that was the other problem. No, they, that, that's a fair point. And let, yeah. let me ask you about that. Like, obviously, you're in a different place now than you were 10 years ago. But you yeah. hear the same things that I hear where the recession word looms over everyone's head yeah. going into 23, right? And everyone's yeah. trying to figure out what does that mean for my business in 2023? Uh, is the ad dollar going to dry up even more? Does it? Is yeah. it just a one or two month thing? When you're in your shoes and you're in your office, yeah. you have to look at where dollars are moving for next yeah. year and the size of a company. Yeah. How do you arrive? I'm, I've always been fascinated and just curious in general, like if you're running when Emmis is at its peak right. and having to make a decision, if we're off 20, 30 yeah. percent, how do I make sure that we stay on track to be profitable and at the same time, I know I'm going to have to trim something. So where do I start? How do I arrive at a number? What is that process like? Well, usually it's foisted upon you by you know a global collapse of the economy like 2009, yep. or a pandemic, uh, or or you know now now a, a possible recession. Um, events always dictate away what you have to do. I always say you have to have a plan B and a plan C. And listen, I don't know who you were, but I don't know anybody who's counting and understanding how to cope with a, a pandemic. Right. Um, and, you know, we, we do modeling around here and, you know, the worst we'd ever seen in my 40 years at the time in the industry was, you know, down 10 or 12 per points. Well, you know, in, in, in 09 and, and 10, the industry was down 30 points. So it's really hard. And you really, that's when you really become creative. That's the point of the book is how do you survive all that? What do yeah. you do to get through that? Um, I mean, listen, it's all business. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, it, nobody wants to have to reduce uh, this department, that department, people, no. none of that, because you didn't put them in there in the first place. We didn't think they had value. But the reality is yeah. if 30% of your income disappears. You've got to make up that that difference yeah. and you have yeah. to trim somewhere to stay on, on track or you're going to be out of business. Yeah. And that's the and that's the challenge. And that's the painful part. Uh, that none of us ever thinks about when we start. You know, when you start your career, it's going to be one straight line up and everything's going to be great. And when you actually run a business, you realize that you don't have that every day. All right. So I got to ask you, you mentioned before that moving out of radio have some things that you've got your eye on and that yeah. that pertains to shiny new objects. Yeah. So what's the shiny new object in Jeff Smullyan's world this day? Well, this day it's um, pitching a book, which I never dreamed I'd be doing. <laughs> So it's, it's talking about my book, but we're looking at different businesses. We we have three businesses now we like a lot. Uh, sound masking, we have Rick Cummings produces podcasts for major advertisers where we do that. And then we have a dynamic pricing business, which we love, which finds the optimal. We have a bunch of, you know, uh, PhD economists who build algorithms and find the optimal price for, you know, events and things like that. So we like that. We're still looking again. Uh, if anybody has a business that we think, you know, that, is profitable that uh, we think might be we might be able to help grow. We'd love to do that. I think Elon Musk might need an advisor for Twitter right now. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, I would be about forty four billion dollars short. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Although it looks like he's rapidly approaching that number too. <laughs> um, so the book again is called "Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down: The Ups and Downs and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur." If someone wants Jeff Smolian on a sports radio or TV show or podcast, 
Do they go through a publisher, Rick Cummings, you? What, what's the best path? Um, I've got a wonderful publicist named Sandy Mendelson, but I will tell you, if, if somebody sees this and is interested, just email me at jeff at emmas.com. And I'm glad to do a lot of them. I'm doing more sports talk shows and general talk shows and interviews and, and having fun with it. It's just, I think so much fun just talking about all the crazy things we learn. And hopefully people will read it and they'll laugh and maybe they'll learn some stuff. And what's great about it is, you know, it's not just a sports radio book. Like, even though, like, look, in our world, you're, you're the guy. You started it. You took the leap and went into this space when nobody else did. So you always will get that credit. But you've done a lot for the radio business in every format. So th this works whether we're talking about the power brand, sports yeah. brands, running a baseball team. So it's a, it's, a, you're just, you're, you're a fascinating storyteller. You've always had good information and you've always been candid about things. And I appreciate that. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. I always love it. And, uh, Always good seeing you. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at Sports Radio PD or read his columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.